Hey there, it's Phil Harwood. Just want to take a quick minute before we begin today's podcast episode and talk to you about our live and in-person events. We had three events scheduled for 2021. We've already had two of them. Our Inner Circle, sponsored by VentTrack event, was very well attended and was a great event. And uh, just recently, we had our Forum for Sales event, sponsored by SnowX, sold out. Uh, We had a great event there as well. We have one more event coming up. It's called Grounds in Institutional Management. It's really focused on site um, issues, operations, engineering, equipment, everything having to do with with running a snow event and planning for events. This is going to be September 8th and 9th at Milton Cat in Milford, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. So we hope to see you there. Registration is open right now at snowfightersinstitute.com. Welcome to the Snowfighters Institute podcast where we hear directly from some of the most interesting people in the professional snow and ice management industry to learn about their successes, to hear about the challenges they faced along the way, and to have their perspective on critical issues facing our industry today. I'm your host, Phil Harwood. Before I introduce today's special guest, I'd like to invite you to follow our social media feeds And check out our upcoming events at snowfightersinstitute.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome. My name is Neil Glatt. I'm pleased to be your guest host on the podcast today. And the reason I'm guest hosting is because I get to interview our regular host, Phil Harwood. Uh, Phil will uh, talk about his decades-long career in landscape and snow industry, multiple business ventures, his thoughts about the industry today. He's been around, he's been involved with so many companies. Um, I think it's going to be an awesome conversation. So I'm excited to learn. So uh, Phil, welcome to uh, this side of the podcast. Glad to be here. So you, you, um, I've known you for a long time, Phil. You've always talked about growing up in the family business and how that shaped your career. Um, tell us a little bit about that. What were you doing? When did it start for you? Um, what impacts did a family business have on you uh, in your career? Yeah, it is definitely something that uh, shaped me um, growing up in a family business. You know, it was very different than all my friends whose parents, you know, were teachers or worked in, you know, prof- different professions. Um, you know, I'd go off and, and go to work <laughs> even when I was really young. And, um, and this was a true family business. This was a business that my grandpa Harwood started um, when he was a young man um, in the 40s. He was growing this business, and it was a um, marketing, advertising, and printing business. My dad was involved in the business, my uncle, and, and pretty much anyone in the family that needed a job at any point in their career, and especially when we were kids, uh, was a great place to earn some extra money and contribute to what was happening. But... It was also a really good opportunity to just learn about um, the value of hard work and and sacrifice at times and dedication. You know, we didn't take a lot of fancy vacations. Um, 
you know, we we lived a very simple life. We had we never missed a meal, that's for sure, and we had a, a fun little cottage up in northern Michigan. That was a fun, but it it was very, um, you know, it wasn't uh, anything that was resort style or anything. So it was a, it was just a very good working class family business, and it provided very well for our family. Um, but it, I think it also just really taught me some good lessons along the way about just the value of work and the value of family and. And, and I think those things have really been a big part of my story, really my whole life. Yeah. And, and certainly, um, understanding family business dynamics has served you well in, in helping a lot of companies with their succession planning and, you know, dealing with family members in the business. You have a really great insight because you live that your whole life. Yeah. So you talk, you talk about Michigan, you're, you're like Michigan born and raised. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what, what else uh, should we know about, about you and, and Grand Rapids? Well, Grand Rapids is in West Michigan. So we get lake effect snow. And if you don't know what that is, that's the same crazy snow that um, annihilates Erie, Pennsylvania and some other places where, you know, the, the, um, Cold air comes over the warm uh, waters of the open lake, you know, large lakes, and um, early, so you, get, you know, November, December, even into January, until things get really cold and the lake freezes over. So we get a lot of snow. Grand Rapids has um, about seventy-five inches of snow on average. It's probably twice what you know Metro Detroit has. Uh, we get both that lake effect and the system snow. Um, so just, you know, growing up kind of in the snow belt, I'm just being outside a lot, always, you know, no matter what season it was, we were always outside. So in the winter, you know, it was, it was sledding, it was, um, snow forts, it was hockey. We always had a hockey rink in the backyard, uh, never got into skiing, uh, but just anything having to do with snow being outside was always what we were doing in the winter. All summer, it was every sport, baseball, football, basketball, tennis, hockey, golf, um, Yes, hockey in the summer because there's rinks and always had hockey going on. And that was really my main sport. I played hockey all the way through high school and um, still play a little bit now when I can get on the ice. Um, and I think, you know, even there, there's a lesson learned. You know, I just, just the being part of a team, be playing a lot of team sports, you know, the value of having good coaching, good leadership, um, being dedicated to other people. Um, and, you know, I think that's a, that was a big part of my story as well, growing up here in Grand Rapids. Yeah, I know that uh, every time I ask you for an update, you you are proud that you lead the uh, the league in penalty minutes in your <laughs> old man hockey league. <laughs> exactly, so, t- taking it for the team for well, sure. Well, every every team has in um, you know the the person the fighter right. So you got the enforcer that's going to protect the the superstar of the team. Yeah, but then you always had the the instigator who would cause the fight. That was me. Nice. The goal is to stir up the action and then get off before you get pummeled. <laughs> and you went to Michigan State University, which uh, anybody who who met you probably realize didn't didn't necessarily realize that th- that's why you're wearing green and white, right? But I know that you have the largest collection of Michigan State university paraphernalia outside the university probably. you know that wasn't all me a lot of that was just you know birthday what do we get dad oh let's get him some more <laughs> michigan state stuff so a lot of that was just incoming but you're right uh Go. proud spartan yep yep um, and we're, we're not the wolverines don't get us confused and you went back to msu for a graduate degree 
Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, yeah, I had a good experience the first time, went back much later in life. Um, you know, there was an opportunity presented itself. Um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk a little bit about business here as well. Um, but there was an opportunity for me to go back and get um, a graduate degree 20 years after my undergraduate. But I had a great experience at Michigan State. I started out as an accounting major, um, ended up moving to marketing after realizing accounting was really boring and didn't want to be an accountant. Um, but I graduated in four years and had a really good experience. Um, one of the main things that I really took away from my college years was being involved in um a, a co-ed professional business fraternity called Alpha Kappa Psi, which I actually happened to be president of my, my junior year, and that was a great leadership um, learning opportunity for me. Um, but it was it was a good experience. I worked, I while I was in school, I worked part-time, always had spending money, and my, my last year I ended up meeting Cindy, my wife, um, as of today, and we've been married since 1985, so that was great. And I think, you know, just reflecting on that whole experience, you know, I think it's just the um, value of education, lifelong learning, uh, professional development, all that stuff really, um, I think it had always been there, but really, really came through strongly in my, you know, in my experience going through getting a degree and then getting a graduate degree, but just you know, I grew up in a family where everyone is expected to go to college and my brothers and sisters and my mom, you know, everyone's got a master's degree or more. And, um, you know, I think that just has always informed me as well. I totally believe in lifelong education and professional development. And that's a big reason why I've found myself getting into consulting and why we started Grow the Bench, right? Yeah, for sure. And And I'm really interested in how you made that decision and what the experience was like you know, 20 years later to go back to school, because that's a big step. It's a big investment in time and finances. And um, I mean, did it feel weird to return to school that much later? Yeah, it, it obviously was different. It wasn't on campus, um, living in a dorm and that thing. You know, my kids were in middle school or high school. I can't remember. Maybe one was in one was in middle school, one was in high school. Um, but it was a good time personally to do it. Um, you know, at, at that stage, my kids weren't super needy. Uh, we were in a good place financially and our business was growing and we really needed to add some more, uh, brain power to our business. And so that was the main motivation to go back and get a graduate degree. Uh, so I went through the, um, the executive MBA program at Michigan state. So it's an, a 19 month accelerated program. So it went really fast. Um, but it was a, gr it was an awesome experience. It was a team-based program. So I met some really awesome people that I was able to hang with for the whole time. And it really opened my eyes to some things in business that I hadn't been exposed to before. Uh, gave me a huge network that I hadn't been part of before. And um, and having the ability to do that while I was working full-time and running a business. I was the vice president of operations for a business, which was a full-time endeavor all by itself. While I was going to school, it was amazing because I could immediately apply what we were learning back in our business. And it was just a wonderful experience. Highly recommended. That's, that's really cool. And I know that you, you know, even in those 20 years, you were learning and achieving various, you know, professional designations um, throughout your career. How have you kept up with this idea of lifelong learning since your MBA? 
Yeah, just um, just looking for anything and everything to challenge myself professionally. So you know, reading tons of articles and books, and seeking certifications, and going to seminars, going to conferences, online learning opportunities. Um, you know, I I came across this line. I'm sure you've heard it before, but something along the lines of, um, you know. The more I learn or the more I know, the more I realize how much I don't know or how, 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 how big the world is. Like you can never learn enough, right? So just yeah. the deeper you go or the wider you go or both, you just realize, wow, there's this huge body of knowledge out there and I'll never be able to acquire all the knowledge I want to acquire in my lifetime. So I really have to be smart about how to focus myself um, and what to pursue, but I just... I've always been a, a proponent of just drink it in, just absorb everything you can absorb. And I'm, you know, if I come, if I ever come across someone who doesn't share that passion, it's always kind of a head scratcher to me because I think, wow, how can you, how can you not live your life like just always trying to get better and learn more? I, you know, I don't get it. Yeah. <clears throat> well, my my mentors have taught me that the moment you stop learning is the moment you stop leading. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I've talked to a, to a number of people on, uh, a podcast that I'd normally host growing in the green industry, uh, from NALP, which is another great podcast. If you like podcasts, check it out, growing in the green industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've interviewed, you know, a, a number of, uh, large industry leaders and they say, listen, the whole reason I decided to grow my business was to give the people I had around me who were good an opportunity to step up to a greater opportunity to a greater, you know, career progression. And the only way to, to keep them and reward them was to make the company bigger. And for them, it's like the more they learned, the more they were able to give to somebody else. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it's um, so important that yeah. we're always trying to get to that next level because it enables us to give back to other people. Mm-hmm. So Phil, how how did you even get into this landscape and snow industry in the first place? Well, it wasn't what I set out to do. Um, you know, I obviously grew up in a family business. And when I went off to college, I really had no plans to return to the family business. In fact, it wasn't even on my mind. It wasn't anything anyone ever talked about. And at the time, it just never occurred to me that that would have been something to talk about. There just wasn't really a place and there wasn't a plan. For the next generation and and when i reflect on it now i think it's really sad that there wasn't that preparation and i think that's something else that is is driving me more you know in the later part of my career now especially as i'm consulting and working with other companies and doing speaking and things that's a huge motivator for me you know just the fact that i grew up in a family business and didn't have that opportunity to go back and plug back into it. But at the time I wasn't sad at the time. It just seemed normal. Like I wasn't going to do that. And I was going to go to Michigan state, get a business degree and go work for IBM or somebody for the rest of my life. I mean, that was kind of the plan. Um, but as I alluded to earlier, a few minutes ago, I met Cindy, my wife. Um, and, um, it, it was just, I had never met someone like her before. It was a very important, um, step in my life, just a relationship I wanted to pursue. And I, I really changed my job search. And so I took a, a job with a local retailer who, that happened to be in the lawn, lawn and garden um, 
area. So they were they were actually not just a small local lawn and garden company, but they were a they were a good sized regional company. And some of you may have heard of them. Uh, the name was Frank's Nursery and Crafts. Unfortunately, they're no longer in business, uh, but they were all over the eastern part of the U.S. Had almost three hundred stores. Um, you know, several thousand employees and I think about 500 million in revenue. So not a small company. And I started right out of college when I graduated as a manager trainee. Um, I had to go to Fort Wayne, Indiana to do my training, which was a fun little, not a, not a fun place to be, but a fun little getaway, you know, after um, just to be in a different place and, and get to know some folks. But I, I really enjoyed the company and I spent the first 10 years of my career with Frank's Nursery. And I learned um, all about store operations and about management. We had tons of seminars and conferences and training, obviously hands-on training in terms of leadership and management. But I also learned the landscape industry. So we had just tons of education and training, uh, nursery stock, perennials, annuals, turf care, um, insect diseases, and identification of thing, all weeds and you name it, right? So everything green industry, uh, really focused on the homeowner. Um, and we also had to understand all the other things that we sold. So we, you know, we also had to learn about uh, interior tropical plants and home decor and all the other lines that we carried in the store. But I really fell in love with the nursery side of the business. And, um, and I also started to really... Um, understand that um, there were stores within the company that were very well run um, and I had good examples of with the folks that were training me but I also saw stores in the in the company and in departments and eventually even at the leadership level in the company I saw some really bad examples of what not to do in terms of leadership and management so it was it was a great case study it was a 10-year-long wonderful case study of a whole bunch of good things to do in business to create a healthy environment, work environment, and to be successful and sustainable in business, but also a great case study of a whole bunch of things not to do. And that learning really gave me a good foundation of where I wanted to go the rest of my career because I really got dialed into this idea of organizational health and team building and culture and it was just so obvious to me that that was where it was at. And I really wanted to focus on that going forward. So that was a, that was how I got into the industry. Um, so there you go. Wasn't so much in the snow industry yet. It was mainly in the landscape industry and big, big time into the homeowner residential side of things, really from a retail perspective. Yeah. So then how did you make the jump to contracting and how did that, you know, we talk about, um, seeing this need for organizational health, like how did contracting fulfill that need for you? Yeah. Um, so the, the move was pretty interesting. Um, you know, Frank's nursery and crafts really started to struggle when the big box retailers expanded greatly across the country. So this was in the, um, early to mid nineties, you had home Depot and Lowe's and a bunch of other players that aren't even around anymore. Um, really just taking over all this real estate and all those big box retailers had a garden center. So Frank's really started to struggle and started to implode. And that's when I really started to see, wow, like 
this this organizational health thing is really where it's at. Um, and just thinking that Frank's is not even in business anymore is crazy to me. And all those people are dispersed, and a lot of them are still in the industry. I considered retail as a career, really looked at it hard. I had some interviews with some of the big retailing companies and some great opportunities, but I really fell in love with the language of landscaping. I, I read a great book that I highly recommend called What Color Is Your Parachute? And it really helped me uh, see that, you know, I, as much as I had all this retail management experience over 10 years at that point, it was really the language of landscape that I really cared about and that I wanted to pursue. And so that's what really led me to moving into the contracting world. So you went to go work for a contractor, and how long were you with them? Yeah, so this uh, first company I worked for was called Tori and Bruglio. I, I worked for them for um, just about five years. Might might have been over five years, I'm not sure. Five years-ish. Um, they were a great company, Michigan's largest and probably most prestigious landscape contractor at the time. They were eventually acquired by Brickman and now Brightview um, after my, my tenure with the company. Um, but I began as a project manager in their maintenance division um, after a couple months in the lawn care division. And um, and I also had the opportunity to run their snow division there, which was a huge commercial snow operation. And I was a part of a team that, that really put that thing together. And we started planning for snow in July, which was crazy. Um, but then when I saw the size of the operation, the complexity of it, I realized why we started in July. <laughs> Um, and it really blew my mind and I just absolutely loved it. So five years with that first company and, um, you know, it was just a great experience. I think we had some of the very best people in the industry working all in that company at the same time. It was really a hall of fame lineup, um, back in the late nineties working at Tori and Bruglio. Wonderful experience. So how was that kind of first taste of, of snow management for you? Yeah, it was just, it just, like I said, it blew my mind. It was so good because we were so good. We were the best and we knew it. I mean, we had everything dialed in. We had the right systems. We had extensive planning. We had uh, redundancies. We had um, communication structures. We had um, awesome follow-up with our clients. And it was just, it was such a wonderful experience. Really got me sucked into it big time. And then, so you said you, you spent uh, five years there and, and what prompted you to leave that business? Well, I was starting to, um, the, the pace was starting to, um, wear on me and my children were pretty young at that time. And, um, you know, we were just working grueling hours, um, and it was rewarding work, but you know, just 80 hour weeks. And it was, it was a bit much. And so I started to have conversations with my family about rejoining our family business after all these years and, and thinking, well, you know, my dad and my uncle are getting older and maybe I can take this business over and do something with it. So we started to talk and those conversations started to get more serious. And I said, you know what, let's make the move. So I made plans uh, to rejoin our family business, my dad and, and my uncle. Um, I negotiated my exit from Tori and Bruglio. Um, and it was a pretty interesting thing, uh, exit. I, I 
went to the owner, uh, Frank, and had a had a good conversation and said, Frank, I'm leaving the company to go work for my family. I said, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to give you two weeks or six weeks. And he kind of looked at me like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, here's the six weeks program. I'm going to take two weeks of vacation. Then I'm going to, starting like tomorrow, and then I'm going to come back and work four weeks. And I'll train my replacement. I'll make sure everything's well taken care of. And then I'll exit. So six weeks. That's that's one option. The other option is I'm giving you my two-week notice today. So obviously he took the six-week option because it was a much better option. And it was a really good thing. I left on great terms. Um, but while I was on vacation and coming back to work for this four-week window, I was offered an incredible opportunity to help start a brand new landscape snow company um, in my market, you know, focusing on the exact same clients that I've been taking care of for the last five years. And um, this was a high-level position. This was a vice president-level position with ownership, and it was a very exciting uh, very, um, interesting opportunity for me. So I went for it. My family was cool with it. They're like, yeah, you can't turn this down. And we grew that company very quickly. Um, that was professional ground services, part of a larger group called the professional group. Um, we opened up new branches all over the Detroit Metro area. And, um, and we pushed over $10 million in eight years, which I think is, is pretty stellar growth. That's over a million dollars a year in growth. And it was during that time when I when I actually went back and got the MBA that we had talked about earlier. Um, wonderful experience, but that that's really what um, you know how that worked out and worked out very well. And that that led me eventually into consulting. So before we get to consulting, that's a really wild pivot to happen over the course of a few weeks. It, absolutely, yeah. It was my head was spinning, but I felt so good about it because I knew. I knew the players, I knew the market, I knew the clients. It was exactly what I had been doing for five years. It The only difference was the trucks were white instead of red, and I was an owner of the company. Yeah. Changed How, everything. You know, sometimes this happens and for, for salespeople especially, right? When you change your business card, you change your truck, how do you go to the same clients and start to have success and have that growth? Well, we already established uh, a great reputation. So when I say we, myself, and my my business partners, so they knew us very well. We were their go-to people. So they they were they were probably more um, uh, aligned with us personally than they were with the company that we had been working for for the past five years. So when we started our own company, it was just such an easy transition for them. They were they were they jumped quickly. In fact, that very first year, I think right out the gate, we did 1.5 million in revenue, like year one. So I think it was just a testament to the um, the relationships that we had developed over the years and the fact that people trusted us and they really wanted to do business with us personally. And And what did you learn in that time that was different than the previous five years, which kind of opened your eyes to this consulting um, business that you eventually started? Yeah, I think that the eight years with Professional Grounds was different because I was an owner. And I really, really took seriously the obligation of an owner uh, 
to provide that all those things that I didn't see at Frank's Nursery or maybe didn't see sometimes at Touring and Bruglio, you know, the, the quality of life, the culture, the investment in people, the development of people, all those things were very important to us. We also really cared about strategic planning and we worked with some really great consultants. In fact, one of the, be- one of the first consultants we brought in was Gino Wickman when he was just starting his um, EOS process. We were probably a beta test for him. I'm not sure how, you know, where he was in terms of that, but he hadn't written his book Traction yet or really taken EOS significantly on the road. It was more of a Southeast Michigan thing. Now, Gino's all over the world, so he's a superstar, Um, but he worked right with us directly with our leadership team. So I think all those things, I think were just very different versus up before that in my career, you know, I was, I was a, a, an employee, right? I was a manager and I had responsibility, but I certainly was not an owner. So that owner's perspective is very different than a managerial perspective. Sure. And, um, so how did that eventually, uh, depart into consulting for you? Yeah, good question. Um, so things were really good at professional grounds. In fact, uh, maybe too good at times we were doing very, very well. Um, all that, investment in culture and people and strategy, all that was paying off in a big way. Um, but my partners and I had different visions of the future. And, and so that became, that started to creep in there and become important to me. And I really wanted to work with, um, you know, in a real aggressive way towards something really meaningful to me. And it, it really mattered to me what the future would look like. And when I realized we had different perspectives of the future, of of the visions of the company. Then I realized, okay, I'm I'm probably not aligned with my partners here in the way that I need to be, and I really can't fix this. And we had a lot of conversations. This was wasn't out a fleeting, you know, thought that led me to leaving my partnership. Um, this was a pretty serious conversation we had for a long time. In fact, two years before I ended up leaving the company to become a full time consultant was when we agreed that I was going to leave the company. So there was a two-year off-ramp for me in terms of acquiring my ownership, in terms of hiring a replacement for me and training them and making sure that everything was in place. We had going away parties and hugs and tears, and and it was really really a wonderful experience. Um, But what I really wanted to do with the rest of my career, once I really stopped and thought about it, I thought, okay, where am I at with my career? What do I want to do here? You know, um, and I really wanted to invest in all those organizational health and cultural issues that, you know, I was, I, that I cared about at professional grounds, but it was such a limited part of what I was doing. Cause most of the time what I was doing was running operations. So I was putting out fires and I was working with people on scheduling and I was, it was a lot of tactical stuff. And I, and when we were able to disconnect from the day to day and work on the business, that was when I was in my element. And I thought, well, I just want to do that full time. Like that's what I want to do with other companies and, and seeing Gino in action and really the way he helped us just, just really lit a fire under me. Um, so we, my wife and I started a business called 
promotion marketing. And the original concept for this consulting business was to do marketing consulting. And I really saw a need for it. And I I still think there's a big need out there. Um, But what everyone knew me as was an operations guy. And so really my initial, uh, the initial interest in the market for my consulting practice was more about operations, about strategy and about cultural issues and leadership issues. And it was never about marketing. No one ever wanted to talk about marketing. And so we um, ended up creating a second business called Promotion Consulting. And then we ended up selling off our marketing business to a marketing agency. But we started Promotion Consulting in 2009. So so that's a long answer to that question. But that's how I slid into marketing. Very strategically. I shouldn't say slid into it. It was a very intentional decision. and took a lot of work to go from full-time running a landscape business to full-time consulting. Um, but it was a, it was the best move I ever made. And so primarily today, what are you helping clients with? Um, a lot of what I'm focused on right now are, um, generational issues with not issues, but really transitions. We're preparing companies for transitional growth for, um, and growth. Um, but transition in terms of leadership from, Folks that are more my generation or maybe a little older to a younger generation, so Gen X, Millennials, um, because that that Boomer generation's retiring, right? So we're we're really looking at companies uh, very diligently, strategically to identify areas of opportunity for you know to create best practices and put in some of those organizational health um, processes and systems and philosophies to help companies grow and to help them transition so they can be, so we can do that in a very healthy and sustainable way. I would say that's probably the big part of it. Obviously with Grow the Bench and a lot of my coaching business, it's more tactical and it's more about professional development, but, but that that's a key component of everything else I just talked about. So that's, that's really where my focus is. Yeah. So let's unpack that a little bit. What you were, consulting for a decade, uh, having a lot of success, and you saw a need for something that led to you approaching me about partnering up on Grow the Bench. What what was that need and, and what, what what made you want to start this? Well, it's a great question. Um, I, right from the beginning of my consulting, I knew that there was an opportunity and a need for on-demand, low-cost consulting. And um, and I tried several times to create something to fill that need, and I couldn't do it. Every time I tried, it, it really didn't go much further than the clients I already had, which wasn't really the goal. The goal was to expand it greatly outside of my consulting client base. So after several attempts at trying to do this internally, uh, really without the support I, I, I needed to be able to do this effectively, I realized you know what, I really need to get with the right people, with the right structure. And um, there was an opportunity to have a conversation with you, Neil, about, about starting um, something. We didn't even have the name at that time, but we knew what we wanted. And, um, you know, we came up with the name Grow the Bench. And, and really the, the essence of this is to help companies become healthy and, and um, learn and to be able to do it in, in a cost-effective way that works for them, 
Not everyone can hire a consultant. There's a huge commitment to that. There's a huge financial burden to that that a lot of companies can't swallow. And what I found just over and over and over again, and maybe this is more directly to your question, there was never enough of me. You know, I I could pour myself into a company. I could work with the leadership team. I could coach their management. But there was always um, a need for more, you know, um, there was always turnover. There was always somebody who missed a meeting, who didn't hear what I said, um, or someone wanted to go back through the material again, but I was gone. I was off to the next client. And so I always knew there was, there was something that had to exist kind of permanently that somebody could just tap into and grab it when they need it. And, and it, it probably wasn't going to involve them picking up the phone and having a conversation with me. It was something that was living on the web. So, so I think, you know, the technology earlier wasn't there for this, but it certainly is now. And, and I'm so glad we did, did this, um, Neil, because I think this is just, I mean, think of the hundreds and thousands of people that we've impacted by creating Grow the Bench. It's been amazing. Yeah. You know, for me, we kind of, I, I sort of, I guess, created Grow the Bench version 0.1 back with Case um, just to train the thousands of people we were hiring. And, you know, what really helped us grow was not that we necessarily knew anything that other people didn't know, but we were able to come up with doing such a phenomenal job of getting everybody on the front lines on the same page. And, um, you know, I see the same organizations or the same people, I should say, uh, you know, at the industry events every year, it's always the owner or director of sales or director of operations or somebody who's listening, you know, to stuff like this, but there's, they, there's hundreds of people behind them in the field who never learned any of it. And it's like, that's why your organization's not thriving. Right. Cause right. you're, you're really smart. You know what you need to do, but you need your entire company to be really smart. And until this stuff gets shared with them, it's never going to move the needle. And for me, you know, when we talk about when I step back, Phil, and I look at some of the things we offer and some of the price points, and it's like, you mean I can train an employee for $5? It's craziness, right? right? Um, but, uh, you know, and, and the, the official industry stuff from the associations is like hundreds of dollars. Um, but for me, it's like, you know what, the technology is there. We don't need to retire off this project. We can really help companies affordably train everybody. And, and that's exciting for me. Right. So yep. um, for sure. And then this opportunity for Snowfires Institute came up. Um, t- tell us about what was going through your head when that, I mean, we had just launched Grow the Batch when all of a sudden um, this opportunity to buy a company kind of arose, right? Yeah. So um, Snowfires Institute was, was created by John Allen. Um And John, just great guy, you know, kind of the founder of the professional snow and ice management industry, um, if you will, um, approached us and and said, hey, I just I would, uh, you know, I'm thinking about kind of moving toward um, some other things in my life at this stage. And I think Snowfighters Institute fits well with what you guys have going on. And I'd love to um, talk some time about you guys kind of transitioning and taking it over. And I, I think we... You know, we talked about it for a couple of years and we went out and did some training on site there. We were part of Snowfighters as as educators and really 
you know, started to look under the hood and, and talk to John more seriously about taking it over and, and then pulled the trigger on it. So as of January 1st, 2020, you know, we own Snowfighters, Neil, you and I, and, um, it's really cool. It's, it's a wonderful, um, benefit to the industry. You know, the events that, that Snowfighters puts out are just first class educational and networking opportunities within a small group. And um, very different than going to a, a big, you know, trade show where you're you're walking through and, you know, with thousands of other people. This is an intimate um, experience. And then, um, you know, we're doing podcasting, and I think that's really cool under the Snowfighters brand and, and uh, boot camp and who knows what else we might come up with. But I think there's just such a hunger for education and training in the snow space. Um, I'm real excited about the future of snow fighters. Yeah. If you've never been to snow fighters, I attended back before anybody had ever heard of case snow management. And it was just so different, such a game changer from an event standpoint to be able to have that um, level of intimacy where you can ask those questions and that deep dive and everybody who's there is fully invested and you, you cut through a lot of the, the noise, you know, at some of those events. Um, yeah. So really phenomenal. So Phil, you've you've started, uh, I guess I would say many companies at this point, kind of a serial entrepreneur. Are there plans to add more companies uh, in the future? Uh, nothing specific or planned, I would say, but you never say never, right? Um, I think our our main focus, Neil, you and I, and in, in our coaching businesses as well, is is just helping companies. You know, yeah. for me, it's all about. Um, getting them healthy, uh, helping them grow, helping them be positioned to transition leadership, if that's what they're doing. And when I look back over all the different things I've been involved in, all the different companies, things we've talked about in this, on this interview, you know, I think that's just that common thread that that's, that's really always been my passion and, and the thing I've always really focused on in my, in my career. Yeah. And, and one way that I know you've helped some of those companies through those transitions is through sales and, and acquisitions, whether to help companies be acquired or, or to acquire others. Um, talk a little bit about that kind of work, because I think that's somewhat unique in our space. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'd love to do even more of this uh, going forward. Um, you know, when you look at the demographics of just the population, you know, you have an aging, a huge baby boomer population that's aging out, really. And and there's going to be a massive transfer of leadership. And it's already started, but it's it's going to accelerate. And it's going to be, for the next 20 years, maybe even 25, there's going to be this giant bubble of baby boomers selling or transferring their businesses to somebody else, right? Or just shutting them down. And unfortunately... A lot of business never get sold. They never transition. They just get shut down, which is sad, right? But um, absolutely, I want to focus on this. Most of our clients right now are going through uh, these transitions. Right now, we're preparing that foundation. Um, I specifically have a peer group that's dedicated to generational transition, um, which is cool. And um, and I'm doing a lot of things we talked about earlier about lifelong education and equipping ourselves. Um, this is one area where I'm really developing some capability um, and, and probably why you don't see this real strongly in my marketing yet for my consulting business. Um, but that that'll that message will come out a lot more strongly 
going forward as I, you know, shore up some of the capabilities that I need to be able to do this more effectively. Yeah, well, it takes it takes years to prepare for a proper sale or acquisition that could end up with, you know, your brand being a legacy and, um, a, you know, a nice check to retire on yeah. uh, to do it the right way. So mm-hmm. I know you've been involved in several of these or are involved actively in several of these companies where that's the end goal. And yep. uh, it's not something you can just wake up and decide one day, right? Right. So speaking of retirement, um, doesn't sound like you're planning on retiring anytime <laughs> soon. How much longer do you see yourself doing this? Well, I don't believe in retirement, um, at least in the traditional sense. I guess I've already retired from the contracting world. Um, but I want to work until I can't work anymore. Um, I, I will uh, dial back travel. In fact, I already have quite a bit. Um, so I see a lot more remote, virtual type work. Um, certainly Grow the Bench fits into that. My coaching fits into that. Um, I see a lot more deal making. I see a lot more work with um, buying and selling companies, helping companies with negotiations pertaining to those things. And those are things I honestly feel like I can do until, you know, I'm I'm ready to go. I, I have no desire to check out and just sit home and do nothing or play golf every day. Zero interest in that. That's awesome. I'm I'm right there with you. So although I I think it's easier for me to say that than for you to say that at <laughs> <Yeah>. this point. <laughs> um, so Phil, looking back over your career, um, with all these things you've been involved in, all the people you've helped, what what's the thing you're most proud of in that time? You know, I think one of the things that really I'm I'm proud of and still very aware of. Um, is that I, I need I only have one reputation and I care a lot about my reputation. I've tried tried really hard to um, always be a, a real um, above the fray type person and really uh, be above re- reproach as a manager, as a leader, as an owner. Um, and that's just being a good person, making tough, good decisions that sometimes are hard decisions, but decisions that respect other people. Um, and I want to leave a legacy and, and I don't want to do anything that would damage my reputation or tarnish that legacy. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. I've, I've made mistakes and I have regrets. There are certainly things that keep me up at night. Um, but you know, as a whole, um, I'm, I'm really proud that I've, I, I took that approach and I stayed, um, pretty committed to that approach throughout my career. Yeah, that's awesome. And and I know that you've also uh, seen a lot of people enter this industry and, and you've been a mentor personally to a lot of those people. I'm curious for, for those who haven't met you um, or, or those who have new people in their companies that uh, maybe should they should be sharing this with, what do you recommend for somebody who's brand new to the snow industry or, or even considering starting in the snow industry? Well, it's a great opportunity in the industry. Um, the industry brings a lot of opportunity, I should say, that people aren't aware of. And so I would say really explore and really understand the the vastness of the industry and the, and the wonderful opportunity that the industry brings. But just to, thinking about talking to a newer person, whether it's in this industry or any, any industry, I think there's a couple things I would want to say to them is, um, one is always be learning, right? We talked about that today several times, but 
even in, in bad situations, there's something to learn, right? So even good times, bad times, no matter what, there's always be learning. Keep your eyes open. Always be honing your skill set. Always take something away, right? Um, so that's number one. Number two, be grateful. Look for things to be thankful for and grateful because if you focus on those things, that's where your mind is going to be trained to look and you're going to be um, filled with with gratefulness. And that's a good feeling because the alternative is um, a bunch of really bad things. Envy, jealousy, anxiety. Um, those are all negative things, right? And we can focus on those and make our make that at what every day is. Or we can see things that are good and be grateful for what we have. And um, so that's a, that's a key thing. And then, you know, I think just what I talked about with your reputation, I mean, be mindful of what you're doing, of what you say and where you go and what you do and the decisions you made, those things are affecting your brand. Right. So those are all things I would say to a, a young person. Yeah, for sure. And, and when you talk about this kind of vastness of opportunity in the snow industry, I'm curious, how would you describe the state of the snow and ice industry today? Yeah, I think it's kind of separated. Um, talk about this a lot on different forums or um, you know webinars that we've been on, Neil. But I see the snow industry is is uh, kind of getting into separating into two groups. You have the uh, folks that see the the business as as a very serious, very profitable year round endeavor, and they're all in with systems, technology, equipment, um, training, attending our boot camps, like they're all in, right? There's something going on for their snow business 12 months out of the year. And then you have the rest of the industry, which which for them, snow and ice management is, is one of many services, but it's not an, a super important service to them. It's just what they do in the winter because there's nothing else to do. And, it's, and a lot of times it's more of an afterthought and so you just don't see the level of investment or commitment in those companies to the industry. And and so I think what's happening is that first group, those are all the companies that are really kind of taking over, right? Those are the regional and national companies that are that are controlling the properties, in, you know, for the most part. And that second group is probably more lining up to be service partners or subcontractors for the first group. So that's kind of how I see the industry shaping up here in those two, those two groups. And they have very different needs. And, and we address both of those. We provide opportunities for both of those uh, groups within grow the bench and in our coaching, but they're very different kind of groups of people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Phil in, in your career and, and over your experience, um, you know, I, I think you'd agree with me that we learn the most or grow the most from challenges that we've overcome. And I'm sure that the way that you view the state of the industry is based partially on some of those challenges you've gone through. Um, but what I'm curious, what would you consider like the, the biggest challenge that you overcame and how did it shape you in your career? That's a good question. I've, I've definitely had some difficult decisions to make throughout my career, but I've had a pretty, um, I've had a relatively, um, 
easy career compared to a lot of folks. I haven't had anything super, I haven't had any tragedies in my life uh, per se. I, I would say probably the most challenging time in my life that I really had to struggle through was when I was in college. And I think that's a very typical of people that go to college. Um, that's a time when you're really tested. You face diversity that you've never faced before in terms of ideas, uh, lifestyles, um, you know, worldviews, um, all kinds of different perspectives about everything, right? All the above. And so um, that was a really challenging time for me. I was young. I was 17 when I was uh, freshman in college. Um, and I was really challenged by all those different perspectives. And, and it was really about, it was a time when I really had to decide who I was and what, what my values were and what I cared about and the kind of life, the kind of person I wanted to be. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad I went through that, but it was a very difficult time. And I, I, I can see why a lot of students go to college and they, it, it really is not a good experience for them because it's, it's, that's a difficult time. That was a very challenging time. Um, but I think it also during that time, it really cemented some of those values that I talked about earlier, like, you know, like hard work. Um, and I would say more from my perspective now, working smart, but, you know, the value of work, like doing a good job and doing the right things and all that education, professional development in this topic that just keeps coming back up about organizational health, right? Teamwork, culture. Um, and I think also my, my Christian faith has always been important to me. I think that was really uh, cemented during those college years and, and has been a big important and part of my life since. That's awesome stuff. Appreciate you uh, sharing all this. Yeah. Is there anything that we didn't discuss that you'd like to share with our audience? You know, I would just, um, I, last thing I, I guess I would want to say is, um, you know, I would just invite you to reach out to myself or to Neil if there's anything we talked about during this interview that piqued your interest. Um, you know, especially if you want to grow your business um, in a more healthy, sustainable way or, or even prepare it to sell or to transition, you know, we'd, we would love to talk to you. So um, Phil at Grow the Bench, Neil at GrowTheBench.com, you know, hit us up um, if we can help you at all. Love to help. Cool. Well, Phil, thank you so much for always hosting this podcast and now uh, being a guest on this podcast. <laughs> if any of you listening think that uh, somebody would benefit, please share this uh, link around. Feel free to check out um, any of the, the back episodes we have. Phil's been publishing these every couple of weeks. Um, and there's a, a ton of great information in those interviews. Uh, we'd love if you uh, leave a review on whichever streaming platform you use. And if you'd like to be on our podcast or have ideas for hosts, feel free to email us. You can email phil at growthebench.com. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening. We welcome suggestions for future guests or topics. Feel free to email me directly at phil at growthebench.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, become a subscriber today so you won't miss any future episodes. And don't forget to check out our upcoming events at snowfightersinstitute.com. Now go for it.